Hello, hello. Hey up, what's up, what's good? Que cosa sucede? Ni hao, priviet. Welcome to the Any Given Runway Show. I'm your host, Randall Carlton Green. Any Given Runway celebrates the exploration of new cultures by highlighting some of the most interesting, intellectual, and artistic people in the world. Everyone has a story. Each person is a scholar. We have a superb show for you today with just an exceptional, exceptional guest. British artist Sophie Green joins the show. Of the people I've met in my life, I don't think anyone is more aptly named than Sophie Green. I mean, the last name is unrivaled. That goes without saying. But her first name means wisdom. And she's one of the most intelligent people I've ever met. The first time we chatted ended up being the longest conversation I've had with any guest. It was a marathon talk that covered many different topics. And she is a true intellectual. During our conversation, I felt like she was a modern-day philosopher who was put on earth to spread wisdom and inspire others. It was one of those conversations where immediately afterwards I had to text and call people and be like, let me tell you about the person I just met. Sophie Green is an artist from England and pause this podcast, stop what you're doing, and immediately go check out her art. SophieGreenFineArt.com or SophieGreenFineArt on Instagram. Primary focus for her art is wildlife. And throughout her artistic career, Sophie has donated 10% of her profits to animal charities and has worked closely with foundations such as the David Shepherd Wildlife and Explorers Against Extinction. She's a self-taught artist and has spent the past 15 years honing her skills and building her portfolio before embarking on a full-time career. Sophie was the winner of the Leisure Painter People's Choice Award 2020 and was shortlisted for prizes such as the Explorers Against Extinction Sketch for Survival Award and the Ashurst Emerging Artist Prize. Her artwork is incredibly meticulous and detailed and and in each of her pieces, she brings out the personality of every animal. And glancing at one of her pieces, the casual observer might assume it was a photograph, for she does an exceptional job on making her animals come to life. As looking at some of the pictures, my mommy commented that the fur on some of the animals made you feel like you could actually reach out and pet it. On today's episode, Sophie chats about her artistic beginnings and how she made the leap from a hobby to a full-time career in art. Sophie also discusses how she selects the animals for her projects. And finally, Sophie talks about art basket and why it was that she created that resource for artists now as i mentioned this was the longest conversation i've had with any guests so parts of that talk we're going to use on a future episode of the show real quick i also wanted to say happy birthday to any given runway's favorite skydiver chelsea yang and a deeply appreciative thank you to captain sir tom moore thank you for being a radiant star during a dark year i'm elated for everyone to meet her so let's go and bring on british artist sophie green and let's learn Sophie, so I've read that you're a self-taught artist. So do you remember your first experiences painting? I do. Um, and I, I kind of call myself self-taught, but um, what is classed as a self-taught artist is kind of debated because mm-hmm. a lot of people say that if you're an artist who sells their artwork and does it for a living like me, you, you're not a self-taught artist. A self-taught artist is technically somebody that just does it for a hobby or does it with no intention of selling it, whereas I do it professionally. But I call myself self-taught because I didn't, I'm not classically trained. I didn't go to art school and I didn't study in higher education or anything like that. Um, So yes, I, I do remember when I started painting and drawing, I was kind of probably about five-ish, five years old. I was young and my brother, um, he's a little bit older than me. He's about 10 years older than me. So he would have been a teenager and he, is an insanely talented artist um, and he would paint or draw and we'd be sitting on the living room floor together and I would do a, a bit of my painting, it was usually of animals and I would show him and then he would 
look at it and give me feedback and say, oh, you probably do this differently or, you know, look at the eye, look at the reflection and stuff like that. And that was my earliest memories of um, doing art for fun. Um, I never really went down that route until later in my adult life um, so far. But yeah, it was it was a passion from the beginning, I would say. Yeah. For sure. What did you study at the university? Uh, I studied uh, primary education. So I got my qualified teacher status and mm -hmm. I became a primary school teacher, which Wonderful. is elementary school in America. Yeah. Yeah. Um, completely different to being an artist. And I kind of just went down the more traditional route of getting a job that, you know, paid the bills and I love working with children and, you know, it felt like it felt good to me. My mum was a teacher, so that was the career path that I chose. Um, but I still painted and I drew and did stuff like that on the side. Um, but, you know, teaching such a, such a, it's difficult as a career. I have so much respect for teachers because it's all consuming Mm -hmm. um you know it's not a job that you can just leave at the door you take that home with you and you go home and you mark books and you're planning and, you, and even when you're not physically working you're thinking about the kids and you're thinking about situations at school and stuff so as I started teaching I realized that I didn't really have any time to paint and any time to draw and that passion was still there within me but I just didn't have time to fulfill it anymore and I think that's kind of what ended up kickstarting my idea to become an artist professionally. You mentioned that while teaching, you realized you didn't have the time to paint, to draw. When was it that it dawned on you that this is not only something that I enjoy doing, but it's actually a, a possible career and I can actually make money off it? You know, it was one of those things that people would say to me, you know, you should, you should do this. Like you, mm -hmm. you're good at it. There's clearly a bit of talent there. And if you really harness that, you could do this for a career. But I didn't know any artists growing up like I didn't on a personal level I didn't know any successful full-time artists you know my, my parents were very down to earth sort of a teacher and a fireman and everyone in my family is very normal hard-working people and I just didn't think that was within the realm of possibility to be honest and um yeah it wasn't until a lot later that i decided maybe I should try and go for it and I think honestly I what I did is I came out of um, college and I started working in the film industry which was great fun and I did it for a number of years and I wouldn't say that was really a career path for me it was sort of like standing in and doubling for actresses and it was great but it's it was unreliable and you know when you got the work it was great but it wasn't all the time um, and then I became the teacher and I think over the years of working in film and becoming an adult, moving down to the to the coast, which is what I did, I met so many different people from different walks of life. And I met authors and I met actors and people in so many different creative industries. And then I suddenly thought, you know what, this is this is doable. You know, people people do this. Um, so, yeah, it was going on probably, I would say, maybe like six years ago now. I thought I might be able to do this. and then maybe three or four years ago, I decided to go for it. But it was a gradual process for sure. Gradual process, but still a very scary one, I'm sure. How did you develop the confidence needed to take that leap? Because there's so much uncertainty that comes with it, especially coming from the background of teaching that is stable. You're taking this big leap and I know it was scary. So how did you develop the confidence for that? Well, I mean, I actually was just having a conversation with someone and they were like, 
oh, did you just decide to think like, I'm just going to go for it and, and quit your job? And I was like, actually, it's so much less exciting than that. It was a very safe route that I took. Mm. I cut my hours down at work. So I, I didn't quit my job. I still had an income. And then I just reduced my hours gradually. So I, I would say that my route wasn't that brave, to be honest. Mm. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't have the bravery, if I'm honest, to just to go for it because I had rent and bills to pay and I had responsibilities. and. Um, yeah, I hear stories about people that just decide to quit their jobs and go for it. And if they can do that, that's amazing. But I just wasn't personally in the position where I could do that. I had to do it the sensible way um, and do it part time for a little bit. And then, yeah, eventually my sales went up, uh, had commissions coming in. And then I was able to completely quit my job. And now I do it full time. Now you do it full time. Yeah. Well, animals are the primary focus in your art. Oh, have you always been an animal lover and why did you decide to feature them and make them the, the focus of your art? Yeah, you know, I've always painted animals. It's kind of all I've ever painted and I've, I've done other stuff for fun and for practice, but um, I'm passionate about animals and I, I'm probably more passionate about animals than I am about art, to be honest. Ah, I like um, that. Yeah, I probably shouldn't be saying that as an artist. No, but, I think um, it's fantastic. <laughs> thank you. I mean, I have been passionate about animals since I was very young. Um, and I think a lot of it stems from, I was, I was actually just having a conversation with somebody about this. I, when I was a, ch a young child, I had a very severe anxiety disorder called selective mutism, mm -hmm. which is where a child, not always a child, but normally a child cannot speak in certain situations um, due to anxiety. And they, tend to I mean I've since becoming a teacher I kind of met a few selective mutes and the, we all kind of tend to have the same sort of character traits and they tend to be children that are quite creative um, and artistic children that have quite a high IQ and quite an eye for detail and they tend to be quite interested in animals and nature and so I kind of ticked all those boxes and so as a child I was obsessed with animals and it was just it wasn't really how most children are it was to the point where whenever we went out I would beg my mum to buy me a book about animals or if I was allowed on the computer this you know this was before we owned computers in our houses but there was a computer at, at the school where I, I went um, grew up and I would just sit and research animals in my spare time and stuff and yeah I just I had this thing about animals and when I started painting and drawing, it just went into, went bled into that. It kind of, they were interlinked for me and they always have been. But yeah, that's, that's kind of why. Fantastic. What are the animals that supporters and fans request the most? Because I'm on your website, the tiger is amazing. I'm really fond of the elephant just because of the details mm -hmm. and the, just showing the wrinkles and everything. So which, which are the ones that you get the most feedback from? The elephant's actually very popular. I would say that's one of the ones that I get the most feedback from, um, maybe because of its size as well. I mean, that was like a five foot tall, um, big piece that I did. That was, that's probably still the biggest piece that I've ever done. Um, in terms of which animal is the most popular, I mean, people, a lot of people ask me to commission pictures of their dogs and, and cats and stuff, you know, pets that are personal to them. I don't do too many pet commissions, to be honest, anymore. I don't have 
enough time i mean i love doing commissions and stuff i just don't have the time to do much i've got a huge waiting list that i need to work my way through um but they're the most commonly asked after and then it's stuff like um elephants and rhinos always popular uh big cats like tigers always popular um yeah it's the it's the animals with the character i find that people are fascinated with um elephants have a lot of character people yeah people love tigers um and then there's the people that have like a personal connection with an animal and it's something completely someone might be like oh i I love red pandas because and they'll have this story about why they love red pandas and they'll ask me to paint one so it really differs but um the the animals that i paint paint the most of are sort of like the elephants and the rhinos and the, the big cats i would say I wish I had a personal connection with a red panda. They're fantastic. I wish I had some type of experience with them. Is there a certain type of animal that provides you with the most satisfaction? And then is there also a certain animal that is the most challenging that you're excited to work on because of the challenge? Um, I would say in terms of what gives me the most satisfaction, I think that I get the most satisfaction from variation. So I, I mean, a few months ago I I went through a phase of just painting quite a lot of tigers because I was painting a tiger and I I did another tiger project and then someone asked for a commission of a tiger so I just happened to have a period where I was doing loads of tigers and at the beginning I was like I love tigers tigers are one of my favorite (laughs) animals to paint and by the end of the last commission I was like I cannot paint another tiger (laughs) for for anything um and I moved on to um an animal that has feathers instead of fur so then i started painting the march which is my latest um painting it's a, a penguin march and it's mm. 81 penguins strong walking walk, you know migrating along and i started off and i was like oh i love penguins they're so great <laughs> and 81 penguins later <laughs> and a, a repetitive strain injury on my wrist and I'm, i can't i can't even look at another penguin so now i've just started um some other some other bits and i'm really excited actually to get started on either a, I, I mean i've got a couple of commissions coming up for the same person he wants a big elephant painting and a big rhino painting to go next to each other and I'm really excited because it's not fur and it's not feathers and it's skin texture and it's going to be yeah. different and it's going to be fun for me to do. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, but the, in terms of the most challenging, I would say, uh, I mean, every animal has challenges at certain points. Right now I'm working on, I haven't posted anything about it. So it's still a bit of a secret, but I'm working on a bison and they're, their hair slash fur is kind of wiry it's almost like it has the texture of like sheep's wool if you look at it and i've never painted anything like that before so i'm quite intrigued to see how that goes i'm excited but that i feel like that's going to be a challenge for me and it's also got gold leaf on it as well this painting which i don't often work with so i'm excited another one that i, I really like is the polar bear the polar bear is, is uh, oh. incredibly dramatic tough year for for many especially artists How'd you handle the difficult times and then the uncertainty that came with it? Yeah, um, it was a tough year. It was, yeah, it was a strange one. Um, I mean, honestly, I I really feel for people that were affected by the pandemic and everything else that went on because it wasn't just the pandemic. There was other stuff going on as well. But um, I was quite lucky, I would say. Um, Yeah, I'm lucky in the fact that I can, 
I paint from home. I have a studio within where I live, so I didn't have to stop. I just carried on. I painted my way through it. The sales kept coming in. Um, I felt, I think people were spending more and more time at home. So I think actually my sales went up a, a bit because people tended to be like, Oh, I need some art for my house to make it look better. And so they would buy some of my art. <laughs> so I was quite lucky, but I know that a lot of people in the artistic industries, like musicians and people that work in theater and actors and stuff, you know, they found themselves suddenly out of work and that really sucked. Um, and you know there were low periods for me as well i live on my own and i live in the middle of nowhere so uh, for me the most challenging thing was probably being completely alone all the time all of a sudden um because i live like normally i i barely am home like i travel a lot i spend time in america a lot i spend time going to france quite a lot every year and here there and everywhere <clears throat> and for the first time in my life, I was kind of being forced to just sit still and be alone and just be with my own thoughts. And a lot of stuff did come up for me, I think. Um, yeah, a lot of stuff that I hadn't dealt with, I just kind of shoved into the back of my mind and it had its challenges. Um, and then I just decided, you know what, I'm just going to make this year about me being alone and painting i'm just going to decide that this is what i'm choosing and it's not being forced upon me and i'm going to decide that this is great um and that's what i did and i painted i painted and did you know other stuff i did a lot of like yoga and meditation and i feel great <laughs> and i feel i still feel a lot of compassion for so many people that were affected during the pandemic and people that have lost people or people that are working in the hospitals and stuff and i just have so much respect for those people um but yeah i it's it's been a challenge but art has definitely helped helped me get through that for sure yeah with the extra time on your hands did you do anything new or find new ways to be creative um i mean i, I did go for a lot of walks <laughs> because uh that was pretty much all we were allowed to do in england yeah. the, the one per day like, that you're allowed yeah <laughs> yeah they, one per day so a lot of people were like spreading that out going for like a seven hour walk <laughs> <laughs> and I live in in the woods so and in a forest by the beach so I was quite lucky because some days I would just walk down to the beach and would take the dogs and sometimes I would go around the woods and I actually started noticing like stuff that I never really pay attention to like the seasons change and how nature changes with it and it definitely influenced me a lot um I think for my, in terms of my creativity, the lockdown helped a lot because I was going out and I was kind of get, getting inspiration from everything around me for sure. Um, I mean, I, I haven't really would say I've developed a new hobby or anything because we, there wasn't much we could do, um, apart from zoom with friends. <laughs> so I've been doing a lot of zooming, um, and a lot of like, group pub quiz style thing. I don't know if you get much of this in America but in England pub quizzes are quite popular where people just do like silly quizzes and stuff um and yeah yoga was a new one for me I had never done it before lockdown and I just thought you know what I started doing it because I was doing at-home workouts because normally I play tennis like five times a week or something and I couldn't play tennis anymore because it wasn't allowed so I started doing at-home workouts just to just as something to do just to keep me you know active and 
I was getting like pulled muscles and I felt tight. And so I started doing yoga to stretch that out. And then in the end, I stopped doing the at-home workouts because I realized I wasn't that interested in being active. And then I just started doing yoga and then I started meditating and I was just doing a lot of like reading and listening to podcasts and just nice, nice soul nourishing stuff. Um, and it's just been great. Like I don't, I don't have a TV here, so I just get to choose what goes into my brain. I stopped, stopped watching the news a long time ago when it, when it started to worry and depress me. So yeah. No TV life is the best life. I, I agree with mm. that. Where do you, uh, totally. where do you find inspiration and then who motivates you or what motivates you? Um, well, apart from everything outside and animals themselves, I, I get a lot of inspiration from uh, wildlife photographers. Mm-hmm. I think their stuff's amazing. I think what they do is incredible. Um, I follow a lot of wildlife, uh, wildlife photographers on my Instagram. And quite often I'll get inspiration just through looking at their photos or looking at their footage. Um, love watching documentaries about animals just getting ideas from the animal behavior and uh, stuff that they do in in their in their lives which is actually where I got the idea for the penguin march that I've recently uh, completed just stuff that has a story behind it and a narrative and I think that's what people like the most as well you know there's animal behavior with a story behind it and the penguin painting that I've just done is is got a cool little scene it's almost like a little fight that's going on between the two penguins in the fore, foreground of the painting it's like a, one of the it's not a, so much a fight but one of the penguins is kind of having a little go at the the last one on the end of the march and um people love that they they got so invested in these two pe- penguins that were having a little like argument almost um and they would po- point it out and yeah it's just proven really really popular um, and I got that idea just through going through Instagram, just looking at all these really cool um, photos that people had taken in the Antarctic. And yeah, I was just, I just feel really inspired by them. I think what they do is amazing. Prior to working on a specific animal, especially if it's an animal that you're not too familiar with, you've mentioned that you do get inspired by other photographers. Is there a certain requirement that you have personally? Like I need to look at X amount of pictures, or I need to see these videos, or do I need to see it in real life? What's your mentality of having enough knowledge of your subject? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, when I decide on something that I want to do, I do a lot of research in general on it, on the species and on the animal, um, just so that I can make sure that what I'm doing is accurate and scientifically accurate um and just looking at their habitat and their behaviors and stuff like that um and then yeah i think of an idea in my head and i might say you know i want to do a painting of a whale and a whale calf or something um and then i have a sort of selection of photographers that i work with on like a professional basis i would say um so if they've got something that might fit the bill then i would buy the license to use one of their photos and then i would get take that photo and take it into photoshop and move things around and change things and create something of my own or sometimes i might see a photo like the polar bear that i I painted was based on a really cool um photo taken by a photographer called neil jackson and um yeah i saw that and i just thought the whole story behind it it was great and so I just contacted him as soon as I saw it and was like can I use this you know he was behind the idea and thought it was great um 
so yeah, it really depends on, on what the piece is. Sometimes if I'm doing a commission and someone's like, right, I want a picture of a tiger's profile, for example, um, I will have to sort of have a think and have a look at different photographs and maybe make something up in my own head a little bit more if there's nothing specifically that fits that bill. Um, but yeah, it's different, different for every piece, but I, do, I like to be as prepared as I can be. I think. How do you know when a piece is finished or a piece is good enough to be put out there? Because I'm sure that you're your toughest critic. And I know that with art, in a lot of ways, no piece is really ever probably truly finished. If you go back and look at something years later, you might see something different. So how do you know when something is, is quote, ready to be put out? Well, I mean, I, the way that I work is I kind of put stuff out during the whole process. So as soon as I start prepping that canvas, I'll post about it and people enjoy sort of guessing what I'm painting, like what am I going to do next and guessing what the painting is going to be of based on the color palette that I'm using and stuff. Um, and I enjoy that because it involves the people that like my art. And if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be able to do it for a living. So to be honest, they're the most important people in my career, but um, it's hard because like you say, putting that process right from the beginning out there into the public eye. I mean, everyone makes mistakes. Um, in fact, I'm painting a peacock at the moment and I started, I mean, the average person maybe wouldn't even pick up on this, but there's different types of peacock and then regular blue Indian peacock that you see has just got normal blue plumage going down its neck and a certain type of crest feather. And then I changed my mind halfway through and decided to do a green peacock, which has really cool looking feathers down its neck and a completely different crest. And I'd already painted the crest of a blue peacock and decided to do the neck of a green peacock. So then I was like, oh no, people are gonna be picking up on the fact that it's got the wrong crest and I'm gonna be getting hate mail and people are gonna say that I'm a terrible wildlife artist and I know nothing about animals. And nobody picked up on it because people probably don't care. But um, yeah, I had to actually put in the caption, like, hey, just so you know, I'm, ch I'm going to change the crest feathers. But I think it's important to sort of acknowledge that people make mistakes. And I think for aspiring artists, um, it's good to see other artists making those mistakes and mm -hmm. rectifying them. And so I, I really like to put the whole process out there. But in terms of finishing a piece and knowing when it's finished, I mean, oh, I could just go on forever. So what I tend to do is I give myself a deadline. So I'll say, okay. right. And I actually have a journal where I write this down like, it, on paper. So then I can't change it. I write, I will finish this painting by the end of this week. And if it gets to the end of the week, it must be finished. Unless it's like, you know, completely unfinished. Like with my wrist injury at the moment, I've had to completely pause the two paintings that I'm working on. And I was supposed to finish them last week. And there's nothing I can do about that because it's, you know, it's an injury. But, um, yeah, I, I give myself a time when it needs to be finished. And then that's that. And that's and I walk away from it. I varnish it. And I move on with my life. Yeah. <laughs> Get the closure. Do you prefer working on a solo project or do you like to spread it around just to stay fresh? Um, I tend to work on more than one at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, I know a lot of artists can't do that and they like to just work on one, get it done, yeah. move on to the next. Um, I just, 
I have a little bit of a thing where I jump around in my head and I'll be working on one piece and then in my head I'll be thinking, oh, do you know what would look really cool is a bison, but with gold leaf as the background. And then I'll think, I'm going I'm to go buy the gold leaf. I'm going to go and do it. And I'll still be painting the peacock, but then in my head I'll be thinking, oh, I wonder when that gold leaf's going to arrive. And then it arrives and then I'm like, I'll just, I'll just prep the canvas. Real quick, real quick, yeah. Just, re- just really <laughs> quickly, I'll just do that. And, you know, I'll do that. That's fine. And then before you know it, I've done half the painting. It's just alongside. And it works great because it's allowed me at times to be working on one piece, but then also doing a commission on the side. Um, because I tend to paint what I want to paint for first and foremost. And then I have a commission waiting list that I pick up, pick pieces from here and there. <clears throat> um, so that works quite well because then I can work on a commission at the same time as working on something else. It keeps things fresh keeps me from going insane, I think. Fantastic. Uh, 10% of your profits go towards animal charities. What are some of the charities that are important to you? Yeah, so this is something that I decided to do from the word go um, before I was really making a profit as an artist. Um, I just decided, I, I don't really know why I decided to do I just knew that that was what I was going to do. Um, I knew that I wanted to do this of animals and for the animals and i started off in the beginning people were kind of like friends and stuff were like oh it's quite a it's quite a big promise to make like are you, are you even making money like you know how you much 10 percent is yeah yeah <laughs> yeah there's a zero after pounds. that yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's just 10 pounds right <laughs> yeah i know and um i was like no i'm gonna do it that's you know and i started off sort of donating to um an actual animal charities like uh, RSPCA and stuff like that um, and as my art progressed I started painting more of more of like the wildlife aspect of it and the environment um, the habitats and stuff and my art started to tell more of a story and I was using my art more to sort of raise awareness of environmental issues and stuff like that and I thought you know it makes more sense to be donating to the conservation charities because well that's what I'm kind of <laughs> Um, promoting so I've just recently become a member of the artists for conservation which is a group of artists that um, are, use their art to promote conservational issues and so I donate to certain charities and I also prom- um, encourage my buyers to promote as well so sometimes for example if I'm doing a giveaway because um, my followers and stuff are really generous kind people they'll say hey like can I give you some money or can I give money to a charity instead of you know instead of just taking up for free so I'll send them to charities um, and there's a couple of charities actually that I wanted to speak about because they're doing really cool stuff with artists um, and they work alongside artists and do um, some really cool initiatives um, and one of them is the explorers against extinction charity which is i think it's actually the real world conservation trust but uh, but the working name is explorers against extinction um and they do some really cool charity auctions with amazing art and they have um the invitational section where they invite artists established artists to donate a piece of artwork and then they have an art competition for people to enter uh, and then they have i think a celebrity section where celebrities donate artwork so there's some really cool people like you can I mean I don't know if you'll know any of them actually because I just realized you're American but there's people like 
Joanna Lumley and Stephen Fry and mm-hmm. um, Helen Mirren, people like that that donate donate artwork and the money raised goes to some amazing um, causes. And there's another charity called the David Shepherd Wildlife Foundation, which does a very uh, very cool art competition every year, um, and they do amazing work for conservation uh, in terms of sort of like banning. Um, illegal animal trade and poaching trafficking and educating people and stuff like that so uh, those are some really cool charities to get involved with tell me about art basket and why you chose to create that platform yeah so art basket is my company that i made around about the same time that i was sort of trying to become a full-time artist i originally i put my artwork online and i probably did what most people do when they're trying to sell something they just kind of make a website put their stuff up and then they sit and they're like right yeah when's the money coming in (laughs) they're just waiting for people to come and buy the stuff and i was thinking about it and i was like you know my artwork is quite niche you know it's like realistic animal art and there's so many different genres of art out there and there's so many different artists that are probably doing the same thing as me just putting their artwork online and waiting and see seeing what happens and probably a lot of people that aren't into technology and aren't that computer savvy who haven't got websites so i thought how cool would it be if i made a website that kind of had other genres of artwork on there and kind of an online gallery and i think at this time online galleries were becoming a thing and you know brick and mortar galleries were kind of still amazing but also people were starting to shop online a bit more and so I thought, oh, you know, I just create a platform where people can showcase their work and maybe, you know, if it sells, it sells, it's great. So I started putting together a small group of artists and yeah, slowly it's become more of an online store uh, slash gallery. We've got some great, really great artists. Oh, I had a just for that. Really great artists. Again, like 10% of the profits goes to charity. So yeah, that's how that started. You're living in a fantastic area in the south of England, uh, just a brilliant place to visit. What would be your recommendations for someone visiting the, for the first time? I'll just say the entire southern southern area, southern coast. <laughs> well, that's like half the country. <laughs> true, true, true. England's quite I wanted to give you more options. I wanted to give you more options. Yeah. Well, yeah, thank you. I mean, I think England's probably about the size of one state in America. Um, so yeah, it's a small country, but it's so beautiful and there's some amazing places and amazing things to do. And um, yeah, I would, I would say go, go to London, obviously, because mm-hmm. you know, it's a trademark place you've got to go. There's some great tourist attractions there, but there's also great um, walks and na- natural places out there to go. I mean, I'm a big fan of just going to walk in like public gardens and stuff like that and we have a um national trust here where um they kind of look after all the the national trust gardens and stuff and you can go to places like that and they're doing amazing stuff um yeah we just get outside go to the beach there's some really cool shops i mean brighton which is near where i'm from where i live sorry um these are really cool little shops and stuff i mean you obviously you've been there haven't you so um yeah, it's just great. What are your future goals, projects, plans for 2021? And where can people find more of your art? Well, I mean, the future right now looks like much of the same. Uh, good. No and we really... want that from you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> I mean, I'm hoping that lockdown will be eased. 
uh, in terms of like exp exhibitions and stuff, um, it doesn't look like many people are going to be able to do that sort of thing uh, anytime soon. So it's just going to be staying home still, painting um, and selling, painting and selling, painting and selling, donating, educating, all the good stuff. Um, there's a few little cool stuff, the cool projects that I've got in the pipeline, but I'm not allowed to say anything I love about those. them. Yeah. I've been told not to by certain people so but there's some really cool like collaborations and stuff coming um yeah i've just got um got some big in terms of size big pieces that i want to i want to start because i've kind of i've realized i've kind of been getting smaller and smaller lately and i want to go back to the the big pieces do some really cool large scale stuff yeah. um and then i really hope to just work my way through my commission waiting list because there's some people on there that have been waiting so patiently for so long now. Um, and hopefully when my wrist is recovered a little bit, I can work my way through them, start ticking off some, some names off the list. And get back on the um, tennis court. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know about that. I think this wrist injury might, have, might see me out of action in that, yeah, in that department for a while because what the thing is is it runs all the way down to my elbow as well essentially i mean i've, I've had all sorts of injuries when i was uh, playing tennis a few couple of years ago i pulled my kneecap kind of out of its socket a little bit and it pulled the acl and i've had issues with my knee ever since um and then i got started getting golfer's elbow and i was like god my body is falling apart like at what age does that start happening you just i'm not that old like how have i started developing all these like long-term issues with my body um but yeah hopefully i'm gonna keep keep doing what doing my exercises and hope to be back at something soon <laughs> your website where people can follow you and your yes. social media names my website is www.sophiegreenfineart.com yep .com. Um, and my social media handles are Sophie Green Fine Art on Instagram and Facebook. And then Twitter is Sophie Green Art because Sophie Green Fine Art did not fit in the, um, there's too many characters, such so as Sophie Green Art for the Twitter. Um, and yes, you can find all of my stuff there. I have no secrets. <laughs> And there's another Sophie Green artist in England as well. Yeah, I know. I know. I think I actually like sent her a message or something years ago. <laughs> I was like, oh, cool. It's, I mean, Sophie Green is a quite a common name, um, you know, just in general. And you type Sophie Green in and it's, there's like authors, there's, you know, people like porn stars and stuff. <laughs> it's like, there's a lot. I mean, I, cause I used to work with kids. So I was worried. I was like, oh God, oh, like, the kids are all going to Google me. And oh, of course. You know, but um, yeah, and I just, sometimes I'm like, hmm, maybe I should just like marry someone just so that I can't, I don't have the name green anymore. <laughs> and then I can have something a bit more interesting and then people, you know, people will find me easier. But yeah, so Sophie Green, fine art, not Sophie Green art. Yeah, I'm excited. I'll, yeah, I'll share was, it was, and stuff. This was awesome. This is awesome. I learned a ton. You're, you're fantastic. And um, oh, definitely, you. definitely glad I met you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really grateful, really grateful to be on here. I just love doing stuff. Well, I say I love doing stuff like this. I do love doing it, but also I, I used to get very nervous about doing stuff like this. I so uh, it's really good for me to do stuff like this because then it gets me better at it, improves me, and then it makes doing other stuff like Q&As and stuff on Instagram a little bit easier.
Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. Much appreciation to Sophie. Wasn't she fantastic? A second episode with Sophie will be coming up soon. Until then, make sure you check out her website, sophiegreenfineart.com, or find her on Instagram, sophiegreenfineart. My new book, Curiosity, is currently available on Amazon. Curiosity celebrates the knowledge that strangers have to offer. Everyone has unique expertise and endless wisdom awaits the perpetually curious. Featuring 200 episodes from the Any Given Runway show, Curiosity explores the diverse lives of athletes, adventurers, and performers. From daring voyages across the Atlantic to unforgettable performances in the West End, Curiosity celebrates the sophisticated thing we call life. Everyone has a story. Each person is a scholar. Thank you for listening. Fill up that passport. I'll see you on the road. Aviento. Aviento.